0: Uh, Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John in the New Testament, John chapter 14. uh, We've been talking about uh, this topic, where is God in my world? Uh, Everybody would like to know the answer to that. Uh, The disciples uh, discovered God in their world and and then he said he was going away, and on Good Friday, And they were asking themselves that question again, where is God in my world? Uh, and through the course of these last hours uh, of his life here on earth, he began to explain to his disciples, uh, listen, this is not all bad. Actually, it's, it's quite good for you that I go away because I'm going to pray to the Father and He's going to send to you the Holy Spirit. We're not going to leave you uh, to fend for your own. And so in John chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works. I've asked you to underline that in your Bible because that's what you and I are involved in. You and I in this church are a part of the greater works that Christ prophesied here in the Bible. Not greater in quality, but greater in quantity. Uh, the works of the church today are, are going forth uh, around the world in a, in a way that is descriptive here of these two words, greater works. Uh, you will do greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, I, I find these, it's interesting that these two verses are, are right together here. Uh, because the way that you and I can be involved in greater works is through the power of prayer. And you know, there's only so much of us physically, right? There's so much, only so many things that we can get involved in in the Lord's work. Hands-on ministry, you know. But whenever we have a, a prayer life, uh, we can uh, expand our ministry actually around the world. Uh, we can support missionaries in Africa and Asia and Russia. Great. Doesn't that sound to you like greater works? Sure it does. And so here he says, listen, the church after my departure is gonna be involved in greater works, that's us. Uh, and then he says, listen, uh, the way to do it is to pray. And if you ask anything, uh, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I'd like for you to highlight that because that's so important. Um, All of us have been trained to pray for me and for ours. But uh, believers should always be praying for the Lord's work on earth. That the Lord's prayer that thy will may be done in heaven as in earth. Uh, He says, I will pray and the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is interesting because this is the first mention of uh, not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit used uh, with that Greek term parakletos. Remember, I mentioned that to you. Uh, It's translated here in my New King James Bible, Helper. some of your Bibles, it's translated um, Comforter. Others translated Counselor. Others translated Advocate. Uh, But it literally means to call along beside you, to help you. It's always nice to have a helper in life, and you and I have the best one going. We have the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is with us uh, more than that. The Bible says here he is in us. Hold your place, put your hand right there and turn to the right from where you are to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's not too far away from where you are to the right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he says this in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now, remember, Jesus just said in John 14, the Holy Spirit would be in you. Paul is saying here, the Holy Spirit is in you, and you are the temple of God. Now, that's something to take to work with you on Monday, isn't it? Yeah. You go to work, you uh, put your hands on your job, and, or you sit in your chair, and you go about uh, your daily routine, and uh, the Bible says you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. And the reason for that is you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Uh, Make sure your body glorifies God. Make sure what you do, where you are, brings glory to the Lord. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, It really is. And that's something that we need to be thinking about each day. Does Does my activity bring glory to the Lord. Uh, if you're a good worker on the job, I'm sure that goes a whole, a long distance in, in, in putting a big exclamation point right here, a yes to this. You do bring glory to God. And so in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to give you another like me, Paracletos, helper, that he may abide with you forever. This is a forever relationship. And then in John fourteen twenty six, let's go back there. But the the parakletos, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is a great teacher, and I spent a lot of time with this last Sunday. You know, uh, the Bible talks a lot about teaching. You and I are learners. That's actually what a disciple is: is a learner. Uh, but in order to learn, somebody has to teach. Somebody has to sh- instruct. The church the church has that role. Uh, the church is uh, supposed to be our teacher. Uh, God gives gifts to the church, one of which is a teacher. Now, that doesn't mean that the teacher has to be some fantastic uh, expositional explainer of the Bible. Uh, because so much of the Bible is, is is very easy to understand. It just needs to be taught, that's all. It just needs to be delivered. Uh, but to always remember this. Uh, when maybe sometimes you think the teaching of the church is lacking a little bit or lagging a little bit, uh, you can always rely upon the best teacher, and that's the Holy Spirit. You always have that. You can walk out of here on Sunday and say, Hey, listen, that was... a." That was a D today, I graded it. That was a D. And you can go home and open your Bible on Monday and read it and be taught by the Holy Spirit and say every time that was an A, the Holy Spirit is the best teacher. Uh, And so here the Bible says, he's gonna teach you all things. And for those of you who like to write in the margin of your Bible, write all things that you need. Not all things. Maybe even that you want, but all things that you need. And remember we went into this routine last week that whenever the Holy Spirit teaches you, if you are faithful in reading the Bible, studying the Bible, being faithful in the Word of God, you will be ready to serve the Lord. Uh, People often say, well, you know, whenever I get through this Bible course, uh, then I'll be ready to serve the Lord. Listen, God wants us to serve Him every single day. He's not waiting on graduation. He's not waiting for you to get a diploma. He's got a mission for you tomorrow. And if you are faithful with the Lord and learning from him and walking with him, you are going to be ready for the challenge that God has for you tomorrow. And uh, there, he has challenges for all of us each day, doesn't he? Uh, and then let's look over to John chapter 15. He's going to be a helper who will testify of Jesus. John chapter 15, verse number 26. Now, here's that word again, parakletos, to call along, to help. And and I'm thankful to the translator of the Bible that I'm reading from. He uh, puts it down. This is the helper. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. That's going to be the primary message of the holy spirit the primary mission of the holy spirit on earth is to teach people about jesus the spotlight is supposed to be on christ and i mentioned last week uh, years ago i i sometimes listened to ministers on the radio and when i was first growing in the lord i got a lot out of it and as i grew up in the lord i got less and less and i'm not too interested anymore but A few years ago, I was listening to a minister, and I found out that uh, almost every day he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He never mentioned Jesus. I mean, it just, he never stopped. His whole deal was about the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, this just really isn't right for him to do this. And then after a passage of time, uh, we found out that that particular person was off base in more ways than one. Uh, The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a background ministry putting the spotlight on Jesus. And so Jesus was the one he was testifying of. And look at verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, This is good. The Holy Spirit is supposed to testify about Jesus and so are we. Now, we have Acts 1.8. I think we have that on the screen up here. Okay, let's, let's read this together. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, this is what we call the Great Commission right here. The Lord says when he's going away, he says, listen, I'm going to give you power to live the Christian life. And I'm going to give you power to witness for me. The Holy Spirit is going to testify me. And he's going to speak through you. And you're going to be a witness to me because I'm going to give you the power to do that. And it does take power to do that, doesn't it? Because everything in the world wants to close you down. But God inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit wants to make a witness out of you. A witness is somebody who knows, uh, has experienced something, and then he just simply tells it. And uh, he says, listen, you're going to start in Jerusalem, and then you're going to go out to Judea and in Samaria. And Jesus did that. But he never got to the ends of the earth. That's our job. Jesus ascended into heaven, and he says, okay, church, go for it. I want you to go to the ends of the world. I want you to take the message of Christ." into the most primitive places on the face of the earth. And you know that's going on today, it really is. You know, we think the whole world is civilized, it isn't. Um, and he says, listen, I'm going to give you the power to do this. Um, and so this is, our, this is our job. The Holy Spirit is teaching us, and we're to do it in two ways. First of all, our life is to be a testimony of the saving power of Jesus Christ. When people look at us, they should say, you know, they're not the person they used to be. They're not perfect. Can we have an amen? (laughs) They're not perfect, but boy, they're not the person they used to be. They're different. Uh, I I love what uh, St. Francis of Assisi said. He said, preach the gospel at all times. Sometimes use words. I I love that. just, You know, there's some things you love. I love that. But, you know, the, the the message of Christ is not to be just conveyed through your life. It's to be conveyed through your mouth. Uh, the message is to be delivered verbally into our world. You just think, look around this morning. If all of us go to the workplace uh, this next week and we start talking about Jesus, witnessing about Jesus. Jesus is alive. He's in our heart. Isn't that cool? That's what God had in mind right here. Uh, it's supposed to be passed on verbally. Uh, Paul said in Romans one sixteen, we have that. Let's read this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul says, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed of the message of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation power. The Greek word there is dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. And so, and so we go out and we have the message. The gospel is, the, as you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then the implications of that, what it means to you and what it means to me. It's the saving power of God through Christ on the cross. And, uh, and so we're taking this message out. And it is the power. You know, a lot of times we get it mixed up. We think, boy, we have to give some kind of powerful presentation of Christ. We don't. The gospel is the power of God. You say, boy, if I could articulate things like you could, man, I'd go out and I'd tell everybody. It doesn't make any difference how it's articulated. It just needs to be articulated. That's all. And it can be the most poor, poor articulation. I'm wearing that word out, aren't I? It doesn't matter, because the message is the power of God unto salvation. You know, and a lot of times people say, you know, I can never do that. But, you know, we talk about everything under the sun, don't we? We talk about sports. How many people here are good talkers about sports? Would you raise your hand? I mean, that's one of your subjects, yes. We're good talkers about the things we do at work. Uh, We're good talkers about everything. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, sometimes we're bashful and we say, "Oh, well, it's, I can't do that; that's too hard." Well, uh, we have to do this because it's commanded to us by the Lord. He's our commander-in-chief. Uh, we're expected to do this. You know, if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't it, wouldn't you be expected to share it? It'd be nice to have it, wouldn't it? The cure for cancer. Uh, Listen, we've got the cure for something worse than cancer. Uh, We've got the cure for a broken life, for an eternity uh, with God. We have that cure. Isn't that better than the cure for cancer? It sure is. And so God's expecting you and me to share that. We have the cure for the penalty of sin. That's hell. We have the cure for the power of sin. That's victory in the Christian life. And we have the cure. 1 Corinthians 5.14 says, the uh, the love of Christ compels me. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us pushing us all the time to be a witness for Christ. You know, we go to a certain place and all of a sudden you feel this, something's going on inside of you and it's the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, listen, you need to really say something to this person over here about Jesus. You You need to speak up, speak up. And, uh, and boy, that's when the battle begins, you know. And we say, well, yeah, I can't do that. It's an embarrassing situation right here. It's not the right atmosphere. And, and sometimes it isn't. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to tell us to do it, it has to be. Um, and so uh, the love of Christ compels us. He, the love of Christ moves me, the message translation says. And then we have another verse in John 16, John 16, verse 7. Let's look there. This is so interesting to me right here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I'm sure the Lord had a hard time selling that. You know, here they, they've discovered the Lord in, in their mind's eye. He is God. And he says, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's going to be better for you if I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Paracletos, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, this is so good right here. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. I want you to write a little one there. Here we find three things the Holy Spirit is going to do in our world when the Lord sends him from heaven. First of all, he's going to convict the world of sin. And secondly, of righteousness, number two. And third, of judgment. He explains it further in verse 9. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. This is an intriguing passage to me. I have studied this so many times. And I don't feel like yet I've got the full meaning of it. I have a partial meaning of it. It is so astounding to me. Now, just think about this. The disciples now are comforted by the Lord. Remember, he sends the comforter, the helper. He's not going to leave them. He says orphans in the world. He's sending the comforter. Uh, They are compelled to go out into the world. And now, look at this. You know, being compelled to go out into the world is one thing. Confronting the world is another thing. And so here we sit in this church, and we're saying, you know, I want to go out into this world. Now, that's a normal reaction of a Christian. I want to go out in this world. I want to tell the people I know about Jesus. I want to tell them that they can be saved too. That's that's compulsion, isn't it? But now he talks about confronting the world. Now, here's where it gets a little bit hard. John chapter 7, verse 7 says this, The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of sin and evil. So Jesus says, listen, you're okay, but they hate me because I'm bringing up these touchy subjects. Sin and evil. They hate me for that. Now, the Bible says here the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. The word sin here means missing the mark. Uh, You know, when you uh, shoot... uh, if you go to the uh, rifle range and you shoot, you know, you're shooting down the. I remember when I joined the service and they put a gun in my hand. You look at it, this big rifle, and they and they said, "No, that's a gun." And I said, "It is." You know. And they said, "Yeah, here now. Let's. Uh, you you have to you have to qualify. That means you have to hit the target." I remember I was so confident. I thought I was doing so good, and I looked down there, and there was no shots in my target. I was shot the other guy's target next to me. I thought, man, I'm really doing well. That's the meaning of the word sin here, missing the mark. I said, I don't know what happened to my bullets. <laughs> they were in the other guy's target. <laughs> Duh. Crazy. <laughs> I love that word. Uh, now, gods uh, the word sin means missing the mark. And the, and the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin. You know, God's goals are not in sight in our world today, are they? The Ten Commandments are taken down around our country and if they haven't been taken down, they're watered down and uh, they are no longer looked upon as the Ten Commandments but simply the Ten Suggestions, right? And uh, the world has adopted what we call moral relevancy, situational ethics. That means, yeah, we can have laws, but when when it comes... To my situation, I don't have to go by it. I can do what I want to. I find it very interesting here that, that verse number nine explains, at least in part, what the Holy Spirit is convicting the world, world about. Let's look at it. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Here he singles out a particular sin. A particular sin. Unbelief. Uh, the word uh, convict is a very interesting word. Uh, it means to, to strike, uh, to agitate. Uh, the word uh, convict uh, is a legal term too. Uh, the spirit pretense, presents evidence like a prosecuting attorney that the, a person is guilty. And so when the Holy Spirit is working upon someone's life, it's, it's an agitation. And sometimes people come to church and they feel agitated. Have you ever felt agitated here? Do you feel agitated right now? Well, that's not bad because uh, if we didn't have that reaction to the Holy Spirit, uh, we can't really discover the solution that he has for us in our life. You know, conviction is something good. It's God's, it's God's searchlight. He puts it on our heart. And he shows us in the corners and the crevices of our heart the things that need to be changed. That's the first step. Everything be- begins with conviction. And so the Holy Spirit's job in the world is to convict the world uh, that they are guilty. Uh, guilty means something more than 30 days in jail or two months of public service. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit puts his flashlight on people's hearts and shows them that they are guilty of not trusting Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins and being saved. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. I love that. Because a lot of times when you talk about the Lord, I had a guy tell me not too long ago, I don't have any argument with God. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. And if you're not on my team, you're on another team. You scatter abroad. Uh, And so there's no neutral ground with Christ. Uh, People can't just say, Well, you know, I'm in the middle. Uh, The greatest sin, and the reason why I think this is mentioned here is the greatest sin is the failure to believe in Jesus, which is God's solution for the guilty. Uh, The Bible talks about a problem and a solution. And uh, the problem is uh, that we have offended the holiness of God. And I know that people say all around the world, you know, well, you know, I try to keep the Ten Commandments and all you have to do is just ask them, well, how are you doing on the first one? And what is the first one? Do you know what it is? The Lord your God you. Yeah. You shall have no other gods before you. How about that? You ever kept that? I don't think so. And so the Holy Spirit puts the puts spotlight on people's hearts and shows them that they have a problem. They've offended a holy God. And then when the gospel is given to them, then they reject the solution as well. But you can't have a solution, and, and this is so important. You can't have a solution unless there's a problem. No one needs a solution if there isn't a problem. And I'm so thankful for the little church that I grew up in when I was a kid because the pastor always talked about the problem. And the problem was that I offended the Lord. And for my sins, He died upon the cross. And I was guilty. I was guilty in part for crucifying Jesus Christ upon the cross. And when I saw that, I cried. Because I realized that that my sin was the sin that Christ died for. And I took it out of the realm of the world's sin and I put it into to the realm of my sin. And when I realized that and I had to pay the penalty of my sin, I needed a solution. And the solution was what Jesus did for me upon the cross, accepting him as my Savior. Uh, the greatest sin in all the world is not to believe in God's solution, Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact acts seventeen thirty says God commands all men everywhere to repent, and so God commands people to repent, and when we don 't repent, we again uh, disobey the Lord. Peter was preaching this message on in Acts chapter two and uh, and so this is the message that God has told us to go out and tell people about and and I know that it 's hard because whenever you like, try to explain to people, they have a problem. Uh, this gets a little touchy, doesn't it? And some people say, listen, I don't want to hear this from you anymore. And uh, we, we stand the chance of losing a friendship. But let me tell you today, losing a friendship is better than not telling people about the problem and the solution. Because there are many, many people that got furious with people when they told them that they had a problem only to go back years later and pat them on the back and say, man, I'm glad you told me I had a problem, uh, because I eventually enjoy the solution, which was Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit is coming into the world to convict the world of sin and then of righteousness. And what does this mean? This, is, this refers to the righteousness of Christ, that Jesus was indeed innocent, and they crucified an innocent man. Pilate knew it, Remember? He said, uh, he said, I find no fault in this man. This man is innocent. Uh, convict the world of righteousness, the righteousness of God and, the unri- and our own unrighteousness. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. Uh, this hurts people when you have to tell people, listen, all their good works won't work. All the good things that they do to try to get to heaven is a futile endeavor. The Bible says all of those things are just filthy rags if we pr- propose to present them to God. Uh, Matthew 5.20 says, Unless your righteousnesses exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will know what by no means enter the kingdom of God. You know, there were a few scribes and Pharisees that were pretty righteous, and nobody in this church is that righteous. And the Bible says, Unless your righteousness exceed theirs, you can't. Experience the kingdom of God. There's only one righteousness that God accepts. And that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the perfect righteousness because God's standard is perfection. And there is this word, this old word Bible scholars used to use. It's the word imputation. I don't like that word because nobody knows what it means. Imputation. But it goes like this. Adam's sin... Adam's sin was passed on to the human race. The sin of the human race was passed on to Christ. And the righteousness of God is then given to the believer. Uh, It's called justification. Justification means to be declared righteous. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Justification. Uh, Whenever we come to the place in our life that we realize, listen, all the good works that I have to present God won't work, I need to be robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's only by faith that that can happen. I can't work my way into the righteousness of Jesus Christ because it's a gift from God. Uh, Having been justified by faith, uh, that simply means that... uh, to be declared righteous. And when we accept Jesus, God says to, says to you and me, listen, you're righteous. Uh, Dale, you're right righteous. Bill, you're righteous. Anne, you're righteous. And we look ourse- at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I am? It's not what my wife just said. God looks at us through Christ. That's what that means. And God somehow miraculously... Uh, has washed away our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he looks at us as perfect in Christ. That's our positional standing in Jesus Christ. Uh, And that's all a gift from God when we acknowledge our sin and repent and turn to him. He gives us that. The last thing he says here, uh, because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, this is really good right here. What is he primarily talking about? Well, uh, that's kind of easy there. Satan's power is soon to be destroyed when Jesus dies upon the cross. In fact, in John twelve thirty one, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. When Jesus died upon the cross that prophecy came to fulfillment of Genesis 3:15. The heel of Christ was bruised and the head of Satan was crushed. You know, they tried to keep uh, they tried to put Jesus on the cross and he wanted to go there more than they wanted to put him there. A lot of times people think well, you know, the cross was an accident an unfortunate set of circumstances. The situation on Palm Sunday just got out of control. That was completely planned by God and orchestrated by Him. And uh, the very mission of Christ would have been thwarted had He not gone to the cross. That was His goal and that was His aim, to get on that cross and to pay for your sins and my sins so that you and I would have a substitute. And when that happened, remember He said, it's finished. And that meant that the payment was made. Hebrews 2.14 says, He shared in death, and through his death, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Whenever Jesus died upon the cross, the stranglehold that Satan had on the world was broken. It really was. And so you and I can live in freedom today. We don't have to worry about death because Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. We don't have to fear the grave because we know there's a resurrection. Uh, I heard a story about a little girl who was allergic to bee stings and and uh, had a bee... St- if a bee would sting her, she would have run the risk to die. And her and her father were driving down the road in the car and this big black bee came into the car and buzzed like crazy, and the little girl was terrified. And so was the father. But the father did what every father would have to do. He pulled over quickly to the side of the road, and he tried to catch the bee. Eventually, the bee landed on the front windshield, and he took his hand like that and cupped it and put it around that bee and waited for the inevitable. And it happened. And he let the bee go. And the bee started his same routine to fly around the car and to buzz and to terrify. And the little girl was so afraid and the father said, listen, the bee can't hurt you anymore. Look, don't be afraid. You know, Satan is is that bee. He's terrifying people. He's scaring people, and Jesus stands up before you and me and says, Listen, relax. The price is paid. He can't hurt you anymore. And the Lord's people said, Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder today if you have um, come to a place in your, your life that you know you're lost, you have a problem. Your problem is uh, that you have broken the law of God and you have not accepted God's solution for your sin as yet. You are still in your sins and you know it. But you know that you need the Holy Spirit in your life and you know that Christ has the power to forgive you of your sins. You just haven't come in repentance yet, turning from your sins and turning in faith to Christ to deliver you. From the penalty and the power of your of sin in your life, I'd like to pray for you this morning in this church that the Lord will come to you, uh, that uh, you will have the faith to open your heart to Christ, with every head bowed, every eye closed, so there's no embarrassment. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor John, I need Christ. I'm not all that bad, but I know I'm a sinner and I'm lost. And I know that Jesus loves me so much that he died on the cross for me. And I'm ready. I'm ready right now to open my heart to Christ. To turn away from my sins and turn in faith to Christ to save me. To be one of his disciples. I'd like to pray for you. Would you lift your hand wherever you're seated. Just slip it up and put it down. I'll remember you. Yes, God bless you. Is there another? I'm, I'm ready at this time. Just slip it up and put it down. Yes, God bless you. For those of you who need Christ in our church today, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that it's taken you so long to understand this. Because the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, and sometimes it takes people a long time to even hear the gospel. If you're here today and you want to accept Christ, pray to him right now, the prayer of faith. Tell him that you are a sinner and that you have a problem. and Ask him to forgive you. He's the only one who can forgive you of all of your sin, especially the one of unbelief. And tell the Lord right now in your own words that you do believe in him and you do accept him as your savior. God's solution for your sin. And welcome the Holy Spirit to come now and live in your heart. Say, Holy Spirit, come now and live in my heart, please. Take up a residence in me. I need you. I accept the solution. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're praying right now in your heart, that's exactly what's happening in your life. The Lord's coming to you. He died upon the cross for your sins. Dear Lord, we thank you for this hour in this church this morning. We pray that it will be life-changing for all of us in some way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we, as we sing to the Lord. What a wonderful song to end our service today.